It's Luke chapter 17, verses 1 to 19. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied round his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back, come back, comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border, town, along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood, at, they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. Thank you very much, and it's really good to be here on this Remembrance Sunday. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word to us. We thank you for the challenge that Jesus holds out to us. And we pray that you would speak to us now as we reflect on this day in the life of Jesus that we see in Luke chapter 17 in his name. Amen. They were a patriotic family, the Watsons from Tynemouth, north of Newcastle. He a tough sea captain, she was the mother of six. And despite having lost one of their children in a tragic sailing accident in 1900, there was no question that their three remaining boys would sign up for military service at the outbreak of war in 1914. The first son, Arthur, duly became a naval officer and a member of the Corps of Naval Constructors. The second, George, became a commissioned officer in the army. But the third, my grandfather, Alec, offered himself to the army board at the same time as his brothers, only to be rejected on medical grounds because of a leg that had been disabled since childhood. 
1,700 men from the borough of Tynemouth lost their lives in the First War. One of them, a friend of my grandfather's, wrote back from the Somme with the words, I'm beginning to think I'm bulletproof, only to be killed the next day. And meanwhile, Alec continued to work as a pharmacist in Newcastle-on-Tyne, where feelings of guilt and humiliation were regularly amplified by those in the wider community for whom any young man who stayed at home was regarded as a coward or something worse. And then at 9.30 a.m. on this day, 10th of November, 1918, almost exactly 101 years ago, Alec took a walk along the Tynemouth Sands that was to change his life. It was a walk that my wife Beverly and I retraced up in Tynemouth this time last year. As Alec later put it, my call for missionary service on a memorable morning in 1918 was that I should take up medicine and then offer my services to the Church Missionary Society. The society was to me then only a name and joining it a divine order. It was a course of action fraught with difficulty. For one thing, there was the question of how Alec's training could be funded, not least as the sole breadwinner in the family, looking after his widowed mother. For another, there was the continuing problem of his physical fitness. Even once he'd started his training in Newcastle and fallen in love with a certain Mary Griffiths, their engagement had to be called off when he, she was uh, accepted for missionary service and he was rejected on the grounds of his disabled leg. When she boarded the slow boat to China, all on her own, there was no question in either of their minds that her missionary calling must override the prospect of them ever getting married. But then my grandfather's leg was operated on, a new surgical procedure that had been developed during the Great War. And there followed a wedding in Hong Kong and a move to Kunming in southwest China, where Alec and Mary established a hospital and a series of clinics reaching out to local people and especially to leprosy sufferers and confronting the injustices of female infanticide and foot binding, all the time leading all kinds of services and home groups in the hospital wards. Psychologists would probably conclude that Alec's particular affinity for lepers mirrored his own experience of shame and isolation during the war years, and they might well be right. And after decades and a half in China, my, my grandparents were recalled to England and to the east end of London, where Dr. Alec steered the Mild May Mission Hospital through the Blitz and beyond. And as I think of my grandparents on this Remembrance Sunday, and especially was reflecting on them this time last year and the 100th anniversary of my grandfather's call, the one word that springs to mind is that little word, duty. It's not something that we think about very much nowadays, except perhaps in military circles or the scouting movement. It tends to conjure up images of drudgery and blind obedience, do your duty. Maybe a term that takes us back to our school days, to rather pompous teachers telling us that we needed to be dutiful citizens to serve our country and the Queen. Maybe one that reminds us of our parents and their insistence that we needed to clear, the, clear our rooms or clear out the rabbit hutch. 
But whatever the associations, there's no question that the word duty has become a rather old-fashioned idea, maybe even a bit of a four-letter word. Duty can even have something of a bad press in Christian circles, reacting against what's perceived as the rather harsh disciplinarian religion of past generations, maybe of my own grandparents' generation. The church has often gone rather to the other extreme, betraying God as some kind of benign Father Christmas figure and genuinely costly discipleship as a thing of the distant past. The word is seen as legalistic, as incompatible with the freedom that we experience as the children of God. And even simple disciplines like weekly church going come some way down many a Christian's list of priorities. Philip Yance's excellent book, What's So Amazing About Grace, was a runaway bestseller when it was first produced in the late 90s. Had he written a sequel entitled What's So Amazing About Duty, I don't suppose it would have done half so well. Yet locked away in the middle of this morning's Bible reading is a real challenge to that way of thinking, a challenge from the lips of Jesus himself. Perhaps you didn't pick it up the first time, so here it is again from Luke chapter 17. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Now God, as we know, is a loving father who delights in his children, one who calls us by name and has made us his own. As with a number of Jesus' parables, there's therefore no direct comparison here between the rather overbearing master in the story and God himself. But what Jesus is challenging is the kind of attitude that sees discipleship, especially costly discipleship, as somehow an optional extra, that expects a divine pat on the back whenever we do God or the vicar a good turn, that subconsciously believes that God owes us one because of the respectable balance in our heavenly bank account. Imagine you see one of my archdeacons coming to me and saying, do you know, Andrew, I've put in a full day's work today. Yes, I worked from nine to five with only an hour off for lunch. So what do you say to that? Well, it would be a little embarrassing, wouldn't it? Here's someone who's come expecting affirmation when the reality is that they've just about done their job for the day. And such can be true, too, to a certain approach to church, to Christian discipleship, not least here in Surrey. We give to the church by standing order. Perhaps we give to a couple of charities as well. We take on some area of responsibility in church life. We need to help the vicar out, as we put it. We may be by the big issue when you pass that homeless guy on the way to the office, and little by little we start to give ourselves spiritual airs and graces, as though we are somehow God's gift to the world. We're doing him a favor. So it's no bad thing once in a while to be told, well, actually, that's your duty. Jesus gives us five such duties in this morning's Bible passage, and here they are. 
First, there's the duty of vigilance. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. It's a call to be a vigilant people, to watch ourselves, as Jesus puts it, because whether we like it or not, you and I are role models to those around us. Any of us who are parents are most certainly role models to our children, but it goes way beyond that too, especially once we're open about our Christian faith as we're called to be. Watch yourselves, says Jesus. Watch out that your own adherence to Christ isn't seen as hypocritical, isn't causing others to stumble. Then there's the duty of forgiveness. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. A call to be gracious people, especially to those who are genuinely sorry. For if the heart of our Christian message is the good news of God's forgiveness of us, what a terrible thing to be dominated by exactly the same grudges that so deface the world around us. There's the duty of living by faith. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, says Jesus, you can say to that mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. A call to be an expectant people, not literally uprooting mustard trees and planting them in the sea, mulberry trees and planting them in the sea, but taking up challenges that are way beyond us, taking up challenges that are way beyond us in response to God's call and in dependence on God's spirit. There's the duty of service, once again. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. It's a call to work hard in our Christian discipleship rather than sitting back and leaving it up to everyone else. And then there's the duty, finally, of thanksgiving. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. A call to praise and worship, which will bless us, and in turn will bless those around us with a contagious sense of joy and gratitude in a somewhat grumpy and ungrateful age. So what's the difference between duty and legalism? we might be wondering at this point. How can we live in the grace and freedom of the children of God on the one hand and have all these duties thrust on us on the other? And the answer lies in that vital distinction between a duty inspired by fear, which is legalism, and a duty inspired by love, which is grace, gratitude, discipleship. To use the analogy of marriage for a moment, it's because my wife Beverly has amazingly consented to stick by me for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health till death us do part, and has done so for the past third of a century, almost exactly today. Has done so in unfailingly and faithfully. It's because of that that I've willingly accepted various duties within our marriage, though I don't tend to look at them that way. The duty to be faithful to her, of course, the duty of honesty, 
the duty to share in responsibilities about the house, even the duty which St. Paul places on me in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 to seek my wife's emotional and sexual needs, all exercised joyfully out of love and gratitude and not out of a sense of fear or drudgery. And of course, marriages can grow stale and legalistic, just as our relationship with God can grow stale and legalistic. But that is not the way it's meant to be. God's vision is that it might become both our duty and our joy to praise him and to grow into our full potential as his beloved sons and daughters. So back to that reading and to one final question. Don't we all need encouragement and affirmation? Isn't it rather tough to work our socks off and then to have to say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty? And the answer is that yes, of course, God wants to affirm and encourage us, but he also wants to toughen us up a bit, to stretch us, not to spoil us. When we're really stepping out in faith and allowing ourselves to be stretched, we'll know God's affirmation loud and clear. But when we're just pootling along with our lives in a rather safe kind of way and expecting God to pamper us, we will be sorely disappointed. That's no excuse not to encourage or affirm one another, of course, whenever we have the opportunity. But it is a challenge to our constant desire for attention. Come on, says Jesus, toughen up a bit. And perhaps that's the challenge that my grandparents and many others in the wartime generations would hold up to us today. That whether in wartime or in peace, our Lord needs courageous followers, obedient servants, dutiful children in the very best sense of that word, who can fight the good fight of faith and advance the borders of his kingdom who can live lives of constant vigilance, forgiveness, faith, Christian service, and gratitude. And perhaps if those lives are just a little bit too safe, a little bit too predictable today, the Lord might have us take a walk on the beach, actually, or metaphorically, as my grandfather did 101 years ago today, and to ask what it is that he would have us do for the next leg of our Christian journey. For when it comes to duty motivated by love and gratitude, there is no better, more fruitful way to live as children of the King of Kings.